Welcome, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Matthews Podcast, a podcast highlighting commercial real estate news, topics, and trends from top professionals in the industry. I'm your host, Matt Wallace. I've been in the commercial real estate industry for over a decade at this point, executing on deals in every asset class across the country. I now serve as a market leader at Matthews, sharing my skills and supporting workplace expansion, development, and management to help grow the Matthews brand into new markets. Today, we have a very special guest. We're joined by Josh Bishop. Josh is the Senior Vice President and Senior Director of NetLease Retail at Matthews. He specializes in discount retailers, dominating the sector nationwide. Josh averages over 100 closings annually with well over a billion dollars in career volume. In this episode, we dive into the net lease retail market, discussing the nuances between buyers and sellers and why discounters are among the best performing net lease asset classes. Please welcome to the podcast, Josh. Let's dive on in. Hey, Matt. I uh, certainly appreciate you having me on. I have I've never done one of these before, but I can tell you uh, I've always been a big fan of the Joe Rogan podcast. So maybe one day when I'm, <laughs> I'm rich and famous, just like you, I'll, I'll be able to parlay this into a, a career on his show. Well, I'll, I'll give I'll give him a call, but I, and I'll take it easy on you today just to, to warm you up. But let's let's dive in with your you know your story, your background, a little intro. How did you even get into commercial real estate in the first place? Yeah, interesting enough, I had went to school to become a, a teacher, mathematics teacher, and I had started my career teaching high school senior level mathematics, and quickly realized after about six months on the job that was not the career path for me. And so I had reached out to a cousin of mine who works for a large private equity firm based out of Los Angeles. And he had told me to come on out to LA and he would introduce me to a couple people. And so I did just that. I flew out to Los Angeles and I had several interviews with various real estate companies and uh, they didn't, those interviews didn't, didn't go so well. I, I didn't necessarily have the qualifications to work for a private equity firm, right? I didn't have a, a background in business or finance or anything like that. And so he said to me, well, let me, yeah, I got one more guy I can call. And he knew Kyle Matthews. He had actually lived in the same apartment building as Kyle many years ago. on I think the West side of Santa Monica. And so he knew Kyle at the time had just left Marcus and, and brought his team over to Collier's. So that evening he texted Kyle and I had got up early the next day and went and met Kyle for breakfast in Manhattan Beach. We we had some breakfast and then I went with him back to the office where I sat down and met Chad and some of the other guys. And Kyle had told me, Hey, you know, this is you know a career path you think you want to take. Go home and start working on your California real estate license and we can revisit this in about a year. And so I think this was like March two thousand 12 and I went I went home that next day started working on my license and ironically enough I got a call from Kyle in about July and he said how quickly can you be out here and I was kind of shocked because I thought I had until March of the following year and I told him I'm like well you know give me a couple of weeks to get some things in order but you know my real estate the licensing is done I just need to take the exam and I think three weeks later, I had packed up my car and I drove across the country. And I guess the rest, rest is history. That that's awesome. So this was this was 2012. Kyle was still with Collier's at this point, 
right. 2013. I, I apologize. 2013. Okay. 2013. But still, still at the at with the Colliers group. So you're you're a Matthews OG. I mean, you you were at the very beginning of the founding of the firm. I was. Yeah, I was actually the first person that was hired once they made the jump over to Colliers. So Kyle had left and took his team of like seven or eight guys at the time and brought them to Colliers, and I was the first hire of which is now, I believe, over a thousand people large at the company. Yeah, that's incredible. So, so what were you, what did you start your focus in the beginning? Uh, when I had came in, you know, I, I did obviously before I started with them, I, I knew who, who they were, what they did. And, and I came in and at the time the company was predominantly specializing in, in single tenant and at least, and Kyle was doing shopping centers, but you know, there were a team of seven other guys there that had every other segment of the industry covered, right? We had an auto parts guy, a drugstore guy, a C-store guy, casual dining guy. And I, I believe really the only the only segment that we hadn't had filled was dollar stores. And so when I came in that first day and, and he told me what I was going to be doing, I, I have to say I, I was a little, I, I wasn't as enthusiastic as, as you would think, right? I, I just got out of my hometown and was excited to start on this new journey and go back and brag, tell my friends and family about what I did. And then I found out I was going to be selling dollar stores. And it was kind of like a moment. Lo and behold, I, I shouldn't have been upset because one of the most you know thriving segments of the industry, and it's all been great ever since that first day. So I was, I was disappointed for nothing. Yeah. I mean, you, you certainly hit the dollar store trend at the right time. I mean, the development has been prolific and it became its own kind of monster segment. It, it, it really wasn't before that time period. So that Always good to be, you know, in the right place at the right time. So that's awesome. Yeah. I was saying with that, let, let's dive into the the retail. Let's we'll, we'll start, you know, thirty thousand feet and kind of drill down into dollar store dollar stores specifically. But let's talk about retail in general and the current fundamentals of single tenant net lease. And how are you seeing transaction volumes this year? And and what what is the overall tenor in the market? Yeah, I mean, it's no secret. Obviously, the the industry as a whole is down significantly year over year when when compared to 2022. I'm about even par with where I was last year at this time due to an increase in portfolio transactions. Right, I was able to put together a couple larger packages of portfolios. So, you know, in terms of number of deals. I'm still pretty much on par with last year, but yeah, I mean, it's it's no secret. I think what did Real Capital Analytics just come out with? I think it was 78%. We were down from May this year to May last year. Is that that number correct? Yeah, yeah, that's about right. And now hopefully we'll see those comps adjusting as I feel like last June and July was where we actually started to see the the initial slowdown. So we shouldn't see as big drops year over year as we as we have over the first six months but yeah and it's clearly <laughs> been a shock for for the transactions volumes what do you see solving that what is going to open up the transaction volume in the next 6 12 18 months what are we waiting for i mean you know clearly the the, the big one is if and when the the fed is going to pull rates down right I think if you look, historically speaking, I want to say there's been eight times where they've raised rates in this manner, and all eight times on the same steep upward curve, the rates have come back down just as quickly. So I think you know a lot of people in the industry are, are banking on 
that happening at some point over the next year or so, right? The Fed has come out and said it's not going to happen this year, right? I think, in fact, we're looking at two more rate hikes before the end of the year. But I think the general hope is that once we get into next year and really get into the nitty-gritty of, of the election year, that they're going to pull rates down to kind of spur the economy as, as we head into the election. So who's going to move first? Is it is it buyers or sellers? What's, you know, I, I know... Kyle certainly has a quote, you know, buyers are undefeated, but what, you know, how does the bid, the bid ask spread tighten up here in the next year and a half? Well, you know, obviously with transaction volume being what it is today, right? Sellers are going to have to move, right? If if they want to move product because buyers can't make sense of a lot of these numbers based, just based off of where interest rates are, right? Sellers are still looking for, you know, in the dollar store space anyway, they're, they're, you know, some guys are still looking for those high five cap rate deals, you know, in, into the low sixes. And I mean, generally speaking, interest rates are 650 to 7%, if, if not higher, depending on the strength of the borrower. And that just doesn't work, right? We, the multifamily's down huge, which a lot of the buyers from, a lot of buyers for dollar stores come from multifamily. And so with that transaction being, that transaction volume being down to where it is, we just don't have this abundance of buyers that we've had over the past couple of years. So <laughs> products starting to stack up on market and the buyers who are in exchanges, right? They've got plenty of options to choose from out there. So, you know, if sellers want to get deals moved, they're going to have to adjust. So you mentioned that common buyer dollar stores are multifamily, former multifamily investors. What's driving that? I mean, from from what I hear, right, the Southern California multifamily market is just completely upside down. Transaction volume is essentially, I mean, for this is just what I'm through the grapevine. I'm hearing transaction volume is essentially nothing nowadays. And so... We're not we're not getting that buyer pool that we would typically see. I mean, obviously we do have buyers, you know, exchange buyers coming from other product types, but you know, Southern California multifamily has, has predominantly been, or historically speaking, been been the largest driver of getting some of these dollar stores sold. And why why is the single tenant net lease or specifically dollar stores attractive as an investment to the multifamily market? or people coming out of the multifamily market via a 1031. At one point they were able to sell these deals, right? In the, you know, some instances, two and a half, three cap range. And they're just sick and tired of, of dealing with all the headaches that come with managing a, a three or a fourplex. And they're able to go buy a dollar store at, you know, double their return. So they're, they're doubling their return on their investment and they're getting a 15 year lease, which is got investment grade credit standing behind it. And so that's, that's, in my opinion, that's the biggest draw for, for these buyers. What are they, what do they call it? Multifamily, the three T's. So and it's tenants, back- toilets, termites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't have to deal with, you know, a couple of those in dollars. Yeah. Tenants, sure. toilets, termites. Yep. So, all right. So now maybe getting into more of the specifics of the dollar store market, why are dollar stores attractive as an investment and how are they comparing with other STNL options? Well, I mean, as, as I just mentioned in my, in my previous comment that they have investment grade credit standing behind them, triple B investment grade. So you're, you know, you're pretty much certain that they're not going to default on their lease payments. And as far as I know, no one, no one who owns a dollar store has ever missed a, a rent check from them. They're, they're on time every single month. 
So that's certainly attractive. Also, the fact that they're recession-proof, right? They, they thrive yeah. of, of both economic prosperity and, and during an economic downturn. I think 2000, 2008, we saw the Great Recession. Dollar stores took off. Stock shot up. I mean, their sales, sales went through the roof. So, yeah, I, I think that's another big part as, as to why people look at these as an investment. And then also the fact that, you know, comparatively speaking to other product types on the market, they generally offer higher higher yields and rates of return. So, you know, th- those, in my opinion, are the three three biggest reasons that people look for dollar store assets or investments. And and who are the 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 two main, or there used to be three main players, right? Now we had some consolidation. So w- who are the two main players at this point? Yeah, so, so Dollar Tree had acquired Family Dollar back in 2015. Dollar General is the King Kong of the space, right? Um, mm-hmm. So now they're going head to head. It's just there, there's only two players in the space. And if we go all the way back to 2015, right? Dollar General was actually trying to acquire because Family Dollar put themselves out there for sale. So Dollar General was trying to buy Family Dollar, and they turned, they shut that down real quick because of you know the implications of a monopoly. I think at that time Dollar General had, and I want to say at that time they had like fifteen thousand stores, and Family Dollar had eight thousand stores. So that would have been twenty three thousand locations versus you know competing against Dollar Tree, which only had. And I'm shooting from the hip. I think at that time it was like 6,000 locations. So they, they shut that down real quick and, and Dollar Tree ended up stepping in and purchasing them. Hmm. So now two main players and relatively similar credit profiles? Yep, yep. Dollar Tree is triple B minus. Dollar General is triple B. Okay. So when we talk about, you know, more micro level on a individual investment, you know, what are those characteristics that an investor should be looking for? What are the triggers that maybe affect pricing and seeing one site being better or worse than the other? A lot of people will say that these deals are a dime a dozen, right? Because you, you do see so many of them that, you know, how, how do you differentiate between one tertiary market and the next, right? So, I, you know, I, I think you'll, you'll see more attractive pricing on some of the more urban deals, but you know, those urban deals are, are primarily only targeted by Dollar Tree. You, you will see Dollar General stepping into some of them. But, you know, Do- Dollar Tree is, is considered to be the more urban player, whereas Dollar General and Family Dollar both kind of thrive in, in these tertiary or smaller markets. So in terms of where the two groups are, are putting new stores and who they're partnering with on development. Is there a major difference? You mentioned maybe Dollar Tree is a little more urban. What is the, what's the demographic profile for each of these stores and what are the differences? Yeah, I mean, the dollar stores, their target demographic, historically speaking, has been lower income to lower middle-class families. However, with the record inflation that we've seen over the past couple of years here, we're starting to see a shift from more, what they would say, cost-conscious shoppers which has opened up the door to middle-class families, which, which are now looking you know, bargain hunting. Whereas I, I saw an article the other day that talked about some of the, you know, some of their primary target demographic, lower income to lower middle-class shoppers are, are in a buying nowadays and they're shifting their focus to food banks because, you know, it's just, people can't, can't afford groceries. The rise in inflation has crippled a lot of these lower income families. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's certainly a problem that doesn't have an easy solution. 
and you know the lower income consumer use has been using a lot of dollar stores as their primary source of groceries. Oh, of course. In their business model over the past 10 years, they have essentially shifted towards be becoming grocery stores for these little towns. And I think, you know, you got to look at it this way. There's so many people that live in underserved markets and for them to be able to get to a Walmart or, you know, a, a traditional grocery store is an hour to a two hour drive for them. So, you know, Dollar General or Dollar Tree, Family Dollar steps in and puts up a store. Now they become the go-to convenience store, grocery store for these little towns. And they can have poles as large as, you know, 40 or 50 mile radiuses from that store. So, you know, that that's that's really been a big shift in, in their business. I mean, I think, and I'm again, I'm shooting from the hip here. I think their 75% of their sales are, are derived from consumables. Oh, wow. That is higher than I would have thought. But, yep. at, you know, the, the dollar store, they filled that gap, that, that food desert that you reference. you know, that they have stepped up and solved that or at least been a one solution to, to that issue. So in light of the changing market, how have you seen development looking into the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months with a lot of your developer clients? What's that? What's what's the future looking like for this for this sector? Meaning like meaning like are they ramping up or slowing down? I guess I'm trying yeah, to just new 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 store development and how how is the current market conditions affecting those plans? Sure. Well, obviously, a lot of these guys have have massive pipelines, you know, spurred by the post pandemic, I don't know, takeoff of, of the market. So development started going crazy, right? Prices dropped, cap rates, or excuse me, cap rates dropped to all time lows. So these guys came in and filled their pipelines. However, during you know during that time frame, both Dollar Tree and Dollar General had trimmed their margins many a times. So some of these guys are, you know, are going to be underwater just based off of the fact that they were building to a, a rent constant and expecting to sell at, you know, five and a quarter, which is certainly no longer the case. So I think a lot, a lot of moving forward, these developers are, are being more selective on, on which deals they do and don't do, which is shocking to me. We, we didn't think this was ever going to happen, but it is happening. Dollar General has is, is realized, listen, if we got to hit our new store count, well, then we're going to have to adjust our build to cap rate. And so they're, they're finally starting to adjust backwards, raising that build to cap rate so that there's some meat on the bone for these developers because you're not just going to build for a loss. That, that doesn't make any financial sense. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, as we're now taking a step back, I guess, do you have any words of advice for investors looking for opportunities in the space or for, you know, young guys like you were back in 2012 when you were trying to get into brokerage advice on how to get into the business and what are some of the keys to your success yeah i mean i, I would say for investors looking to purchase a property lease to one of the dollar store tenants be be aware of some of the trends that are currently taking place in the market right because the last thing you, you want to do is, is buy a dollar store especially in a small market that ends up going vacant is that's a financial nightmare for you. So, so like some of the trends to, to be aware of would be Dollar General has moved to what they historically used to call their Dollar General Plus model, which is 10,640 square feet. And so 
all of their new construction stores are going to be that new prototype with the exception of they're also doing dollar general markets, which are now over 12,000 square feet. So, you know, be, be aware of that trend. They're, they're doing that for a reason, which means some of those 7,500 square foot stores or 9,100 square foot stores, if they're not building those anymore, right, that's a red flag for you as an owner that they're shifting away from that prototype. And it could mean years down the line that your, your store is on the chopping block to be relocated. So be aware of that. Also, on the Dollar Tree side of things, right, they're doing the same thing. They've, they've increased their prototype. And traditionally speaking, they were like 8320. And now they're over 10,000. 10,500 is, is the combo model. And so, you know, you see a lot of these buyers focusing on the family dollar, Dollar Tree combo stores, which is you know, half family dollar, half dollar tree, all, all under one tenant and one lease, of course. But those are 10,500 square feet. And if you go on Dollar Tree's website, they're, they're self-proclaimed that those combo stores do 20% higher sales volume than the non-co-branded stores. So, you know, as, in my opinion, I, I would look at, I, I would be focused on those assets or, you know, or the, some of the more urban Dollar Tree locations because, you know, there's obviously underlying value in that dirt. You know, when you're in what's called like the Dallas MSA, right? You're going to give some weight to the value of the dirt if you got a Dollar Tree in Wiley, Texas, right? So my advice for investors is be aware of the current trends. And if you are looking to purchase one, talk talk with someone who is an expert in the industry because, you know, myself along with, you know, a handful of others throughout the country specialize solely in this segment of, of the market. And those are the guys you want to be talking to so that you don't end up in a bind. Yeah, for sure. Have a trusted professional help guide you through the nuances. You know, it's an attractive asset class because it is relatively simple, maybe compared to a multifamily or a multi-tenant shopping center, but it still can, can save you a, a ton of ton of money to to work with the right advisor. Yeah. So then, then sw- switching into the last topic we're going to talk about, you know, what do you think was driving your success and what kind of advice do you have to brokers looking to get into the business? I mean, there's no secret here, right? And you'll hear, hear Kyle preach it a million times over. It's just, it's all about outworking the competition, right? Be, become a professional and an expert in whatever segment of, of the industry you're working in, be more knowledgeable than the next guy and most certainly outwork the next guy, right? This isn't, this industry as a whole isn't rocket science, right? It's, I think they say real estate's filled with, with guys that weren't smart enough to be finance guys. It's not the most complicated thing in the world, but in my opinion, it, it takes one thing that I think really drives a lot of success. And, and that is common sense, which, you know, as I grow older, I'm learning isn't so common in this world. Right. So, you know, if you just have common sense, right. And can think logically and convey those thoughts, then I, I think you're set up for success. I've, obviously with hard work and determination, right. When Kyle tells these kids, you got to be the first one in the office and the last one in the office every day. That's something that he made sure that I exercised or I practiced for my first two or three years in the industry. And he, he can even tell you my first day, I, I think I showed up at 545 in the morning and he was sitting there with his, his legs crossed at the back door. When I walked in, he had a cup of coffee and he said, I thought you told me you wanted to work. I'm like, I do. He said, well, <laughs> you got to be the first guy here and the last guy here every night. Then I show up the next day at 5.30, sitting there again, and I'm like, damn. Uh, <laughs> I started coming in at 5.15 after that, and, and I was beating him in by a few minutes, so so I had my bases covered there. But 
you know, Chad, Chad was driving, Chad was working directly with Chad at the time and he was driving from Orange County. So it would take him an hour and a half to get up there. So he would wait to beat traffic on the way out at night and, and he would be there till eight, nine, 10 o'clock most nights. And so my days were, were 5 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. for a couple of years there. And, and it was exhausting. You live real estate, you eat, shit, sleep real estate. I can vividly remember dreaming about making cold calls for my first couple of years in the industry. I'd wake up and, and my thoughts and my dreams were all about making cold calls in real estate. So really just got to immerse yourself and, and really buy all in. And that's what it takes to be successful, right? And you got to make that your entire life for the first couple of years. And even then you'll get a little bit of breathing room, but you don't want to give the next guy an open door to walk through and come in and, and I'll work you and I'll hustle you and still some of your business. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's simple, but it's certainly not easy, right? No, wow. not, not at all. Josh, thank you so much for being here with us today. For those of you that don't know, Josh is the most prolific of the dollar store brokers in the country and one of the most prolific single tenant net lease brokers out there. So it's an honor having you come join us today on the podcast. So I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy, so take care. And for all the listeners out there, please be sure to tune in next time. And if you want a dollar store investment, please call Josh Bishop because you need the advice of an expert. Thank you. Thank you.